Please turn in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 3. Have you guys ever noticed that there's some things in life that we take for granted until it's gone? Right? I think uh, I thought of a, a couple in here, and I bet you guys could add to my list, but I've got a few. Have you ever had your microwave break? <laughs> yeah. You know, how do I even cook now? Or your hair dryer break? That happened to me this week. Or you go out and put the key in the ignition and nothing happens. Isn't that fun? The water heater goes out. That ever happened to anybody? Or your toilet don't work. Backs up, breaks. Listen. Things in this world break down and don't work like they should. But in our Christian journey, in our Christian walk, (coughs) faithfulness is required. The reason we take these things for granted is they work all the time. We're just used to them working. When they're not working, it creates a hardship on us. And so today we're looking at faithfulness and Jesus is our high priest. And so it's going to be an interesting journey as we go through this together, as we read our verses. We're going to be discussing faithfulness in Jesus as our high priest. As we discover our responsibility to the faithful, we understand that this is God's house. And we're going to ask ourselves the question, are you in the house? And so let's go to the word. We're going to pick up in verse 1. Which says, Therefore... Holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all his house. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Now let's go back for just a second. Go back to verse 2 where it says, as Moses was in all his is capitalized, is talking about Christ's household. Okay? Verse 3 For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses by just much, by just, let me say it again, by just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are if we hold fast our confidence in the boast of our hope firm until the end. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, Do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, they always go astray in the heart and they did not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and Father, I pray this morning. 
that as we travel through these verses, I ask that you'll speak to us. I help you to help us to understand what you're saying so that we can know you better. Thank you for the love you have for us and thank you that we can hear your voice. If anyone here doesn't know you, I ask you to speak to them about their relationship with you this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, he begins in the first two verses with the idea of be faithful. See, he begins with our identity. He calls us brethren, holy, partakers of a heavenly calling. Brethren, holy, and partakers of a heavenly calling. All of those go together with those who are in a relationship with Jesus Christ. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not individual units that just connect with God and, and we can live based upon just ourselves and it doesn't matter if we fellowship together or we hang out together or if we show up or don't show up. We're meant to be together. Fellowship is part of what God has created us for and he calls us here brother he calls us holy how many of you think about that during the day you walk around and think about how holy you are anybody do that <laughs> we actually walk around and think about how unholy we are right why is that if God calls you holy why wouldn't we walk around with gratitude thankful that that's the way God sees us well, because of what I do. You don't think God sees that too? You're holy, ladies and gentlemen. That's who you are. We can never embrace the work that he's called us to if we don't understand who we are. And so we're holy. We're partakers of a heavenly calling. You, you know, it's so funny. When they talk about being called to ministry, have you ever heard that phrase before anybody? <clears throat> That's usually used in relation to somebody who's called into vocational service, a pastor, a youth pastor, a children's minister. We use that all the time. I want you to know that that has been miscategorized. The Bible teaches that we're all called into ministry. <laughs> You've all got the same look. Like, what? You have been called into ministry. If you're a Christian, you've been called into ministry. Whether it's where you are, whether it's as an astronaut, whether it's as a student, whether it's um, as a ditch digger or as somebody who works on computers, military, somebody who works on cars, you're called to ministry. Because all the work that we do, we do unto the Lord. We don't do it unto ourselves. We're not, we don't do it to get ahead. We do it in a way that honors God when we do it. We don't try to sneak things by or do things halfway. We do it all the way because we do it as we're doing it for Him. And so we have a calling, ladies and gentlemen. We have to realize who we are so we can embrace what God has for us. And then the next thing that He says to us, after He says, really, basically, understand this, then he says, consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. And he called him an apostle. Have you ever heard Jesus called an apostle before? Has anybody ever heard that? I thought that was it, right? 
When we think of the apostles, we think of the 12 dudes who hung out with them, right? Can you say that? That's who they were. 12 guys who hung out with them. Some were fishermen, some were tax collectors. Some were doctors. And these guys hung out with him. But we don't think about Jesus as an apostle. Now, interestingly, I did some study on the word apostle. An apostle, get this, this is so interesting. I, I was like, man, that's dead on. Apostle can, one of the definitions an apostle is actually the second definition. The first definition was the 12 guys. The second definition was the first successful Christian mission to a people. And I thought, that's Jesus. That was the first successful mission to us. The law wasn't successful. Until you understand the law. But it was, he came successfully. He did not fail. He did not make a mistake. He did not. Listen, let me ask you this. Is temptation a sin? Is it a sin to be tempted? No. Because if, you, if it was, then Jesus sinned, right? So it's not a, temp, it's not a, it's not a sin to be tempted. It's a, it's a sin to give in to the temptation. And so he was in all ways touched like us, but he was successful. He overcame it. But also tells us that he's our high priest. Now the high priest was the one who interceded and intercedes on our behalf. He interceded. If you go back and you study, this is why Old Testament education is so important. Because in Leviticus, when all this was being laid out about all the things that they had to do and the things that they had to make and the rings and what size they were and the gold that was laid upon them and how it had to be set up and how it had to be taken down and how the sacrifices worked and then it sounds super exciting. Aren't you so glad you came? <laughs> but all those things were there and they were important because it explains to us the detail and the importance on which God places on sin and the importance to overcome it to be in a relationship with Him. And there was a guy there, back in the day, we couldn't go to God and confess our sin like we can today. We used to have to go to this dude, and he was the high priest. And he would, we would bring some unlucky animal that was born perfect. And we would take it to this high priest, and they would sacrifice and spill the blood of that animal because of my sin. And he would do that and make intercession for me on behalf of God back then to cover my sin. Now when Jesus did it, he removes our sin. That's why he's a much better high priest. Because he doesn't just cover it, he removes it. And so it tells us here that he didn't just come successfully, but he came as our high priest. He came as the one who was going to make the sacrifice for us. He came as the one... Who was going to deliver us from our sin and death, which he did. He says, consider Jesus. This is who we confess. You know, a lot of people use the name Christian today 
to mean really essentially I'm a good person with good morals. Y'all know where the word Christian came from? The word Christian, for those of you who may not know, the word Christian was first used at the church of Antioch by those who were not saved, by those who were outside the church. They were calling them as Christ followers, and they called them Christians, which Christian came and, and grew out of that. It was a derogatory term, speaking of those who have been deluded to follow this man, Jesus Christ. And so, but that's not how we see it today. I mean, actually, what's happening is becoming that, isn't it? It's returning, it's reverting to its original meaning. You know what? They can call me a Christian if they want. I'd rather that, I'd rather, hopefully somebody will call me that. Instead of being shocked when I call myself that. And so here they are. This is the one who we confess. We identify with Jesus Christ. When you claim to be a Christian, you're saying you're a follower of Christ. Let me ask you, how are you doing that? Well, I try not to kill or steal or do anything or, or tell lies. And, and Okay, how are you following him? How are you pursuing Christ? You know, it's disingenuous to say you pursue Christ, but don't do anything to do that. But don't respond. Or even talk to him. So I don't even think... You ever been there or you've ever thought to yourself, you don't have to raise your hand, I'll raise my hand. You ever thought to yourself, man, I don't even know how to pray. I don't even know what to say. Let me tell you, if you've ever been in that camp or, or when you, if you were to start, let's say you started praying tonight for the first time. All you have to do is just talk to him. You don't have to have these flowery words. You know, I used to listen to these people in church and they had all these eloquent words and I go, man, I... I don't even know words like that. <laughs> How am I going to pray? I think God hears the heart who's honest more than he does the, heart, the mouth who's flowery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember the two that were praying and God, they're going, one going, I've never done this and I'm so wonderful and I'm all this. And the other guy came in and said, I'm undone. What a mess I am. And God heard his prayer. And so if you're just honest, he'll hear you. This is who we claim to represent. And if we do, shouldn't our life reflect his life in us? Shouldn't it? If you say you're a Christian? If I say that I'm a Cowboys fan, till yesterday... If I say I'm a Cowboys fan, I've got probably some kind of a jersey or I make time to watch the games, right? We got any football fans out there? Any college football fans? College football, we know that Steven is UT. He's not a football fan, but he's from UT. Do we have any UT fans here? Do we have any Aggie fans here? Do we have any Red Raiders? Red, who's that? Who's your college team? Oh, uh, Red Raiders, then, right? 
Yeah. Uh, Florida Gators. I'm sorry. I'm getting the I'm getting the swamp back there. <laughs> but we watch the games, don't we? I mean, what do people who are Green Bay Packers? What are they known for? They put cheese. They put cheese on their head. Whoever came up with that? You ever wondered where some of these things came from? And was it ever, when it first started, actually real? Have you ever held a chunk of cheese that big? It's heavy as anything. Can you imagine somebody showing up with that and going, hey, we should all do that. <laughs> Where did that come from? You know, there, that's an interesting story. Let's research that. Don? <laughs> That'll come back. But when you're a fan or a follower of something... You show it. You ever met somebody and you knew just when you met them that they were a cat person? You ever met people like that? You just know, right? They're a cat person. There's nothing wrong with being a cat, but they just, they exude that they're a cat. They're dog people or animal people, animal lovers. You ever met science people that just love it? They go to all these things and they go, oh, here's one. Where's all my Star Wars people? Or my Star Trek people. You're either Star Trek or Star Wars and you don't associate. (laughs) Except in Christ. There's unity in Christ. We can overcome this. Right? You're a follower and you know. And for a follower of Jesus Christ, people ought to know because we reflect Him. In the same way. And so we're told to be faithful. And the word faithfulness follows all through this passage this morning. See, the writer leaves this section by this verse 2 by reminding us that both Jesus and Moses are our examples. Look at how Moses' faithfulness mirrored Jesus' faithfulness. As followers, we should reflect the same. He said he was a follower. And even though there were times and he prayed and he said, God, your people, <laughs> he didn't want to take credit for them. And he complained to God. That's who he complained to, right? He's talking to God about them. But there was two million of them. And he felt the responsibility of leadership. He was still an example to us. Of one who was willing to follow Christ. And so be faithful. Then he goes on. He begins to talk about God's house. He says, Jesus had been counted... Worthy of more glory than Moses, because the builder of the house has more honor than the house. Interesting way to put it. The expression of Christ, the expression of what he's doing has more honor than what he does. Because it comes out of him. Now, we get so caught up in the work of the Lord that we can lose sight of who it's for. We're so, I mean, I remember when I was young. I can still remember. <laughs> At some point I'll stop remembering. <laughs> but I remember when I was young and I just wanted to know what God wanted me to do. What do you want me to do? Just show me. What's your will for my life? You ever had that one? You know, there's books written about all that. There's sections at Lifeway you can go by and you can read about 15 people's reason. Uh, or the reasoning behind or how to discover God's will for your life. 
You know what? I'm going to tell you. I'm going to listen. I'm going to save you a lot of money. <laughs> you know what God's will is for your life? For you to fall in love with Him. The rest will happen automatically. When you fall in something in love with somebody, your whole life changes, doesn't it? You start doing things together. You start thinking about them. You start spending time. You hope they really like you. You know, you hope they don't have bad breath, you know, because you're going out tonight. You know, you hope they like the food and that the waiter is nice and the movie's good and that the, that the theater's a little cold. <laughs> right? You start thinking, you start trying things that they like. That's what it means to be in love. You don't have to worry about what you're supposed to do. You just fall in love. The rest follows. God's will for your life is the expression of your love for Him back. It's not hard, folks. Yeah, but I want something definitive. I want to know, am I supposed to be a programmer? Am I not supposed to do... You know, if you delight in the Lord and give you the desires of your heart, and whatever you're, if you're delighting in Him, whatever you delight in also will be part of His plan for you. It's not hard. We make it so hard. How many of you parents would prefer a child that just wants to know what he has to do all the time? What do you want me to do? You want me to clean? You want me to mow? You want me to do? Well, my parents might have preferred that. <laughs> But <laughs> or would you prefer a child that just says, "Man, I just love you. I just love you." Man, they they just like, "What can I do for you?" <laughs> right? As a parent, that's the way it works. Let's not lose. Don't get don't get so focused on the work that we lose. The purpose of the work. It's because of Him. It's because we love Him. This is, we're building, we're part of building God's house. We get so caught up in that that we can lose sight. So keep your eyes on Jesus, who's the author and finisher of your faith. He's the one who wrote this whole thing. Every house, He tells us here in these verses, that every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. So if I want to participate in what God is building, then I'm going to be on the same page as Him. Now, He leaves us here <laughs> with the idea, of, even though that we have a role, God's in charge. God's in charge. He ought to be directing your life. He ought to be um, leading you into the things you do because... He's building his house. Jesus said that I'm the cornerstone, right? Not I, nor Mark. I, Jesus, is the cornerstone. And ye are the stones in which I build my house. And we're going to get to that here in Hebrews in a little while. See, we do our part. When we do our part, we're participating in what he's building. And it doesn't matter what your part is. I might be a stone in the middle of the wall in the back, and I'm okay with that as long as I'm in the wall. Because see, it's not about me. It's not about me. It's about Him. And so this is God's house. When we're not this, 
God is building his house for himself. Well, the question is, are you in the house? Verses 6 through 11 is really this really interesting passage. And I was trying to figure out why he quoted the Old Testament. And I'll give you the citation here in a minute. But see, Christ says that we're told that Christ was a faithful son over his house. But his house is us. We are his house. He is a faithful son over us. He is faithful to us, ladies and gentlemen. He is never unfaithful to us. Anybody see the ball on the tee? See where he's going? We learn something about Christ. We learn something about us and his love for us. We learn something about the way it's done. Because if you love somebody, you're faithful to them. See, we're a part of his <laughs> we're a part of his house if you've been saved if and he gives some evidences of salvation. You know, I think that's one of the biggest injustices we do to people today. We go, we'll ask them uh, some diagnostic questions like, do you remember a time where you prayed and turned your life over to Christ? And they would say, oh yeah, no, you must be saved then. Has there been a change in their life? Is there any, you know, has God done anything? How many of you have ever heard somebody say that praying a prayer doesn't save you? Nobody's? Simply praying a prayer doesn't save you. It's the response of your heart. Jesus sees from the heart. And if the words reflect your heart, then you're saved. Because he will save you. And so he gives us some evidences of salvation. Evidences is not just praying. That's part of it. It could be. But don't hang your hat completely on that one thing. So we're a part of the house if we hold fast to our confidence. Or we hold fast to our confidence. See, our faith in Him is settled. Those who have truly been saved don't walk away. Those who have truly come into a relationship with Christ don't leave. Well, pastor, what about the verse that says, if you tasted of the heavenly gift and turn away... There's no more hope for you. Isn't that somebody who can can walk away from their salvation? I've been I've been told that by people who I know study. The key word in there is the word tasted, not partaken. They came and they checked it out and they tasted it and they said that's not for me and they walk away. That's what that verse is talking about. That's not talking about somebody who's entered a relationship with Christ. So that verse does not apply. We hold fast our confidence. The boast of our hope is firm to the end. 
How confusing is that? <laughs> if you break it down, what it comes down is to this. This is what he's talking about. We never become ashamed of him. We never become ashamed of him. You know, I tell you, that, that used to be used in churches to get people to walk in the aisle. Well, if you're ashamed of me now, I'll be ashamed of you. So you need to come down this aisle and be saved. You heard that before? That's manipulation, folks. Listen, I don't need to manipulate you. If the Holy Spirit ain't moving in your heart, I'm not going to give you a false sense of salvation. But if he is moving in your heart, please don't turn away. You know the people who are ashamed of Christ? The people who tasted and never partook. Because when you come in and find out how good he is, you never want to leave. That's the way it works. I was I was on an assignment in Florida. It was a kind of a dual assignment with my seminary and with the Interfaith Evangelism Department of the Southern Baptist Convention. We were sent out as part of our assignment to a New Age bookstore. And they told us, you better be prayed up before you go, because you're going in enemy territory. I'm thinking, isn't this all enemy territory? Yet, the earth and the fullness thereof belong to the Lord. So what do I have to fear? He hasn't given me a spirit of fear, so what am I worried about? If he can't fill my mouth with the words, then there ain't no point in me going anyway. Somebody better say amen. Amen. Yeah, because we all sit around and worry about, well, I don't know what I'm going to say. God will fill your mouth. You ever had something pop to your mind when somebody was talking to you about something spiritual and you're like, where did that come from? That's the way it works. And so I went in there and I was the fourth group of like 30 people to descend on this bookstore. The poor lady ran the bookstore and was like, holy mackerel, what's going on? And there was these rooms. It was like an old house converted. And there's, I was a youth pastor at the time. And there was two teenagers in one of the back rooms. And I walked in there. And the young man says to me, he says, yeah, I used to be a Christian. And of course, that's going to pique my attention. And so I asked him, I said, well, what happened? And he began to tell me about the Sunday school teacher who tried to scare him into heaven by telling him he was headed for hell. And he walked away. And so we had an interesting conversation from there. We didn't kneel down and pray. He didn't receive Christ because I showed up that day. I could have been the seed sower or the, or the, the seed waterer. I know I wasn't the reaper that day. And I don't care as long as I was part. And so we don't know how that works. Exactly how God works different with each person. But here's the thing. We never become ashamed of Him. We weren't a former Christian where a Christian will always be a Christian. We'll always be a follower of Christ. And then he gives us, in verses 7 through 11, 
he quotes Psalms 95, 7 through 11. Isn't that interesting how the verses lined up? You know, if you ever want, there's a, this is an old, I don't know if this is an old Baptist story or if this is an old seminary story. But you ever wondered how the chapters and verses got put into the Bible? It says some guy was sitting on the back of a cart one day and going down and every time there was a bump, that was a verse. And every time the thing rocked a lot, that became a chapter. Because some of it doesn't make sense, right? That's probably a Baptist thing. Don, ask Don later, he'll tell you. What happened there is Israel had disobeyed God and did not enter into the promised land. Now, in other words, their faith, their faithfulness leads you into his rest and disobedience prevents it. So what is he talking about? See, I'm going to tell you something. The promised land in scripture is not heaven. If you've ever heard that preached to you, that is not true. There are not giants who oppose us in heaven. So what is he talking about? He uses it here with believers. What is he talking about? The promised land was promised them. It was given to them by God. And there were giants there. And so when they walked in faith. And they went in as these people who had been in the desert for 40 years. Generations had died off. They walk in and God says, well, march around and blow your horn and those walls will fall down. That man has lost his mind. <laughs> I mean, right? Think about that. Except faith. Says God's been faithful to me. That's why Jesus, when he says he's faithful to his house. Our confidence transfers. And so they go in and do that. The walls of Jericho fall down. Amazing. Just like that said. Just like God said. And so we entered. They could have done that. Or they could have said. Listen guys. We got to go find. We got to find a way to blow this wall open. I know dynamite hadn't been invented yet, but we got to find some. Or we got to get a ram, or we got to do something, or we got to try to burn this rock down. You know, they used to try to light rocks on fire. Did you know that? It's true. We got to find a way in. Let me ask you, which is the easier way in this scenario at Jericho? Was for them to try to chip and claw to try to accomplish what... Was God's plan? Or was it easier for them to just obey and let God do it? <laughs> What's harder? To try to find a way to accomplish God's plan yourself or do it let God do it as you obey Him? That's what it means to enter His rest. That's what the exchange life is all about. Because the world will tell you, try harder, study harder, pray harder, read your Bible more, do all these things for God. And then we get overwhelmed, we go, and then when we miss a day, we feel, oh, we're so terrible. You ever been there? You go, I'm just a bad Christian. You ever had that thought about yourself? I'm such a bad Christian. I'm, God's going to put me over here because I'm not perfect. Perfect. 
then you just stay there. You're no longer listening because you're under what? Condemnation. Yet Romans 8 tells 8 1 says there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So where's that coming from? It's coming from the enemy because we're still on the works mentality instead of on the faith and trust me and the walls fall down mentality. That's why he pulls the verse here. That's why it's here. Because they didn't get it. Faithfulness. Obedience is faithfulness. You can't separate it. That's why James says faith without works is dead. And don't let anybody say, well, then you need to get to work. Because when you have faith, God will speak. When you have faith, God speaks. And in him is our life and his life is in us, right? And when he speaks and we follow him, faith (coughs) reveals itself through our behavior. That's what all this is going to start to unfold in in this book. It's really an amazing book. It seems like it's for the Old Testament, but it's like, it's right on, it's right on point. Of course, all of scripture is. And so if we're going to participate with Christ, we have to be willing to accept who we are in Christ. See, not understanding that's going to keep you at a distance from the Lord and keep you from the gratitude required to evangelize. What was the thing that Adam and Eve did after they sinned? How many think the first thing they did was get a fig leaf? The first thing they did is they went and hid. They went and hid. Because that's what we want to do. We want to go hide. Now, now God can't see me. He sees you back here, Tamron. (laughs) We want to run and hide from him. And many Christians are hiding. And God is seeing them and his heart is breaking because they're missing out on what's going on today. I think that, honestly, is part of the calling of New Life Baptist Church. Maybe we should put that on our sign. Are you hiding from God? Come hide inside. Did you get that, Stephen? <laughs> I have to rock Stephen because he'll do it. <laughs> if I say stuff like that. I remember we were talking about, uh, remember the verse, I think it's in um, Chronicles. That says the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the earth, seeking those whose hearts are completely his. And I said, Lord, let your eyes land here. And he wouldn't put that on the on the side outside. So I have to watch him. So be willing to accept who you are. I can't evangelize if I'm not grateful for what God did for me. I just can't do it. 
Because it's the love of Christ that constrains Paul to go and constrains me to go. Realize, we have to come to this idea that God's the builder. Listen, this is his business. He's in charge. We join him in his work, not for his benefit, for ours. Joining him in his work is for our benefit. Does God need me for anything? God don't need anything. He's God. I mean, think about that. God needs you. The old uh, Uncle Sam posters. God needs you. God don't need you. God wants you. And we get to participate with him. And so we have to start seeing it that way. Don't miss your opportunity, folks. We have an opportunity. You have it this week. Three. If we're going to miss out on the rest, or we're going to miss out on the rest that comes with our salvation. We have to be careful because people, you know, you ever met Christians who are absolutely exhausted? I am so tired of serving God. I'm burned out. I'm exhausted. Forget it. I quit. Do you know I told God that? I was in ministry. I was in one of the fastest growing churches in the state of Georgia. They ranked churches out of the 30 fastest growing and we were in there. Our pastor never told us what number we were. Probably wise on his part. And I was exhausted. Because I didn't understand this. I was still on the other, operating out of effort. You know, he told me about a church, because I had a kind of a rough time there. For a lot of reasons. And he told me of a church he had a rough time on. He said it was really for him. I'll take it. It was for me. We had 70 people baptized one year. I know because I used to do all the baptisms. <laughs> and so God can do it. But I'm telling you, if you're trying to do it on your own, it's exhausting and it's boring. You feel like you're spinning your wheels. Well, God never put anything on us that we can't handle. That ain't in the Bible. And in the Bible. The Bible, they'll use the verse that says, no temptation has taken you except that which God has made a way of escape. Talking about temptation. If you're relying on yourself, God will, will frustrate that. He will burden it. He will to get you to stop doing that and start trusting Him. He will absolutely oppose that. That's the way it works. Our obedience in following Him provides the rest to us because God does the work through our obedience. We don't do His work through our... Uh, we don't do His work through our evidence. We don't do it that way. It doesn't happen because we do it. It happens because we're obedient and He does it. The evidence that God was with them was not that they chipped the walls and the walls broke down. The evidence that God was with them is that they listened, obeyed, and then it happened as God said.
That's the way it works. Y'all remember the, some of y'all probably will remember Sheila Walsh. Y'all remember Sheila Walsh? 700 Club? Yeah, y'all are all too young. All of you are too young. Sheila, aren't you glad you came today? Amen? Yeah. Sheila Walsh was a Christian singer, writer, and she was the host of the 700 Club. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this to you. This is um, coming from her. I think the part of it's been, it's her words re, uh, uh, rewritten or copied. Uh, she described how her, her disconnected spirituality, spirituality literally hit a wall. One morning, she said, I was sitting on the national television with my nice suit and inflatable hairdo. And that night, I was locked in the ward of a psychiatric hospital. The very first day in the hospital, the psychiatrist asked me, Who are you? I'm the co-host of the 700 Club, replied Sheila. That's not what I mean, he said. I'm a writer, I'm a singer. He said, that's what you do, who are you? She said, I have no clue. You know what he told her? He said, that's why you're here. That's why you're here. Sheila goes on and she says, I measured myself by what other people thought of me. Anybody do that? <laughs> that was slowly killing me. Before I entered the hospital, some of the 700 Club staff said to me, Don't do this. You'll never regain any kind of platform. Isn't that horrible advice? If people knew you were in a mental institution and on medication, it's over. I said, you know what? It's over anyway. So I can't think about that. I really thought I had lost everything. My house, my salary, my job, everything. But I found my life. I discovered at the lowest moment of my life, that everything that was true about me, God knew. When you go to brokenness, when you go through brokenness, then you end your life. And the only way that we can live in God's rest is for it to not be about us anymore. We give up on our own ability to do it for God. But aren't we, so you mean we don't care or we don't try or we don't, we don't put forth any effort? That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is when you come to the end of yourself, all of that falls under the leadership of Christ. Because outside of that, it brings death. We've all been exhausted Christians before. It brings death outside of the life-giving power and direction of Jesus Christ. That's what she was experiencing. And she's written books. There's books on the market now. I think one of her books is titled, It's, not, it's Okay to Not Be Okay. I always thought that was the, uh, the bad word in church. How are you doing? I'm fine. You're fine. We're all fine. Aren't we all fine? Yeah, we're fine. I'm fine. You're fine. We're all fine. Maybe that should be the title of my book, Go Beyond Fine. And that's good you put that down too. Stephen's got a list of books I have to write before I'm dead. <laughs> so listen, don't do to become, do because you are.
Do because he leads you. Do because he says, hey, I want you to talk to so-and-so. And you know what? When you walk into that, there are giants in the land. There are walls you can't bring down on your own. There are things you can't accomplish without it. Why did you leave me here? Because I can show you what I can do. Just because God's leading you doesn't mean the path is clear. Everybody that, got, that he said that he sent on a journey faced obstacles. And the world will tell you and the enemy will lie to you. He said, if God is in this, it would go smooth and everything would just, would just all come together. You wouldn't have any problems. That ain't the way it works, ladies and gentlemen. That's a lie. It ain't biblical. And so it's, in time, it's time that we embrace our calling. It's time that we call to our brothers and sisters in Christ who are out there, who are disconnected, who are not in a church, who are hurting, who have been stepped on and stomped on and are looking for some hope and revival to their soul. Listen, we don't need to be revived. We just need to repent and move forward. <laughs> We've already been, if you've been vibed, you don't have to be revived again. Mm-hmm. We've got to have revival to the church. And, you know, you ever, how many of you ever been to a revival? People come in, they bring people in, and it's all exciting. They share these stories, and everybody cries. And in two weeks, we go right back to what we're doing. Anybody have any different experience than that? Okay, that's the truth thing, right? Okay, when Jesus gives you life, it's eternal life. The enemy will try to undermine it and steal it from you and belittle it and try to turn it down and try to keep you in the corner when that is part of our greatest testimony. Well, but you're a failure and everybody knows that it works. Stand up and say, you know what? I'm a failure. That's why I need Jesus. Let the, let the enemy point out all the reasons you need Christ and just use it. Say, thank him for it. Instead of hiding and sitting in the corner. This is the year that we are called to go. And we is you and me. Not me coming up with a good idea for you to go do. And not you come up with a good idea for me to go do. It's us. It's time. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time. I'm going to ask everybody to bow their head and close their eyes.